And the land is dark And the moon is the only light we'll see Welcome to the IMDb Journey Podcast, where we break down every movie from the top 250 and give our thoughts, our reviews, and any general discussion along the way. My name is Daniel Henderson, and if anyone out there thinks that Goofy is not a dog, you need to get your head checked. And I'm Dean Jeffrey, and I was 15, going on 16, the first time I saw this movie. And today I'll be breaking down the 80s coming-of-age classic, Stand By Me. Hi, Dean. How you going? Oh, hey, man. How are you? Yeah, it's good to see you. It's good yeah, to see you. Too. How you going? I'm all right. That's all good. Right. How was your week? My week. It was standard. Stand by me. Nah, that didn't work. Wow. <laughs> I heard stand, I was like, surely there's a joke there's to something be made there. here. <laughs> I was wrong. No, actually, we did have a bit of extreme circumstances happening at work. We were supposed to have the big, big, big bosses come down to our area to check out you know, the stores and how we're going. So we put in a ton of effort to make it, make it pristine, make it all look perfect, and they didn't show up. You bastards. Yeah, no, I I have the same story. I had the, the CEO coming down and was a no-show, so it is a little deflating. It is a little bit. What's not deflating is I stepped on the I stepped on the uh, scales for the first time in a while and just out of nowhere dropped five kilos. Really? And I'm not I'm not a big bloke. No. No. But I've got some work to do. <laughs> <laughs> but it was interesting to see that I'd done that. I hadn't really tried. Fair enough. What else are we doing today, Hendo? Well, after the breakdown, we're going to be looking at the answers that you, the listeners, have given to our question of the week, which is, what is your favourite coming-of-age film? Which is our top five, as usual. We'll look at last week's Pod v Pod draft results against Dan and Caleb from Netflix and Swill and their amazing list of Tom Hanks films. We'll also be looking at the first row. That's the tone. (laughs) Could you be any more sarcastic? (laughs) We'll also be looking at the first round of our new film tournament, The Best Films of the 1960s. Ooh. Yeah. Good, good films in there. Good matchups coming. Really? Yeah. And then after all that, we're going to find out what film we're going to be talking about next fortnight, which neither of us are choosing this time. No, it's a Patreon choice, so Mr. Shane Jeffrey will be picking that one for us. I can't wait to see what that one's going to be. Last time he picked The Terminator, which was a fantastic choice, so we'll see what he goes with next. Okay, as usual, this is the point where we have a look at the movie watching challenge between me and Paul from the Countdown Movie and TV Reviews podcast, so let's take a look at that. It's a race. It's a race. I'm winning. I'm winning. And at the time of recording, I am at 118 and Paul is at 115. Gee, he came back. He did come back. You were sitting pretty last time we had this update. I think he had a couple of films not logged at that point. So I turned around and all of a sudden, boom, 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 boom. All these films are logged. Like, you son of a bitch. You sandbag and bastard. <laughs> Give me the update. All right, it's been a while, Hendo. But what's oh, it's been, been a while. <laughs> but what's been happening on the IMDb Top 250 list? First thing we'll look at here is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Last time we saw it, it was at 26. It's now down to 40. So it's going on the same route as Infinity War. Okay. Yeah. I'd say this will probably end up around 80. Gee, that's still really good. Yeah. Still up high here, The Usual Suspects dropped a couple of spots down to 28, and taking its place is Spirited Away and Saving Private Ryan. All great films. Casablanca moves over Once Upon a Time in the West to number 35. I know Sam from Movie Reviews and 20Qs will love that. (laughs) Also, The Lion King moves over Raiders of the Lost Ark to 46. And if we're looking a little bit further down on the top 100, 2001 A Space Odyssey goes over Lawrence of Arabia and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind to number 86. 
And there is a, a new film in the top 100. Goodwill Hunting takes over the sting for number 100. Really? Yes. Goodwill Hunting. How'd you like them apples? Looking a little bit further down, we have the 2018 film And Had Hum has gone down from 124 to 142. Have you seen that? No. Have you? No, but I've I've heard a lot about it. Well, it's in the top 250. It must be good. Hmm. Speaking of which, we have a debut that we haven't spoken about yet. Came into the list a long time ago now, maybe just after we recorded last time with the top 250 update. Green Book. <laughs> What's it up? It, I remember it debuting at 179. It's at 125 now. Gone up. Wrong way. <laughs> Speaking of Best Picture nominees, last time we saw Bohemian Rhapsody, it was at 158. It's out of the list now. Oh, good. <laughs> I knew it would happen. I'd forgotten that that was in there. Yeah. Well, it's not anymore, so you can rest easy. We have another debut in the list. Neon Genesis Evangelion, the end of Evangelion. Oh, is that the animated one? I think so. Hmm. I might, it might be anime, not animated. Is anime is not animated? Is, do they say anime is animation? I mean, anime is animation. I've always equated the word not. animation to like the Americanized Disney style animation. But you would call like the CGI, like Toy Story stuff animation. No, I call that CGI. So it's not an animated film? CGI animated. CGI animated, anime, and animation. It's all under What are we doing? Moving on. <laughs> Stalker has gone from 193 up to 186, a little bit of a increase there. The Handmaiden has gone up from 237 to 231. It's gradually moving up there. It's probably going to stay in the top 250 now. And that's going to do it for in terms of specific movements. So in the list now is Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl, Beauty and the Beast, the animated version, Chunking Express, which is a film that I've wanted to see for a very long time. I just never got around to it. So It's funny you've never you've never expressed interest in it. Well, we've never had an opportunity to talk about it. The Exorcist is in the list now, Three Colors Red, and The Legend of 1900. And out of the list, here we go. Tangerines, Drishyam, Paper Moon, Sanjuro, Fanny and Alexander, and Once Upon a Time in India. That's a great leaving list. Absolutely. <laughs> Jesus. All right, before we get into Stand By Me, please be warned that from the jump we will be spoiling it. So if you happen to have not seen a movie that is, what, 30 years old now, bad luck. We will be spoiling it. Okay, we're going to take a short break here and give you a couple of promos from some other fantastic podcasts out there. And we'll be back on the other side with Stand By Me. I'm Nick. And I'm Justin, and we can't believe it's already time for the 2019 live stream for The Cure. Thanks to our amazing peers, listeners, and supporters, last year we crushed our goal of $5,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. The Cancer Research Institute is funding research into immunotherapy to create a future immune to all forms of cancer. Every single cent we raise goes to them. And they're also rated over 92% on CharityNavigator.org. This year, we're aiming our sights even higher with our most ambitious event to date. Join us May 17th through the 19th on twitch.tv slash epicfilmguys for 40 hours of live content from us and other amazing shows who will join us to try to reach $7,500. Please visit www.livestreamforthecure for more information or to find out how you can be a part of the event. Together, we can make a difference. Hi, I'm Rob. And I'm Sean. And we are Movie, movie Geek, Geek and Proud, a movie podcast where two gay movie geeks review current and older movies of all genres, good and bad. 
We also pick titles and share our opinions on films that are either not well-known or guilty pleasures. But we are proud of our tastes and encourage all other movie geeks to do the same. And it's not just movie reviews on our show. We play games, trivia, movie drafts. We have guests come on and even the occasional skit. (laughs) You can listen to our show on your favorite podcast apps, including SoundCloud, Podbean, and iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at MGNP Podcast. And remember, every movie has at least one fan. You're so cheesy. What? How's that cheesy? And every movie does not have at least one fan. Uh, I say it does, and you can't prove it doesn't. You can't prove it does. Yes, I can. That's why we're doing this show. It's like every time you want to start with me, I don't understand. No, you can't. Yes, you can. I'm telling you, they always have to do You always do this. Movie Geek and Proud, a new episode every Wednesday. For some, it's the last real taste of innocence. I'm never going to get out of this town now, my Gory. You can do anything you want, man. And the first real taste of life. This is really a good time. It must be a blast. But for everyone, it's the time that memories are made of. So darling, darling, so, Stand By Me, released in 1986, starring Will Wheaton, River Phoenix, Corey Feldman, Jerry O'Connell, and Kiefer Sutherland. And Richard Dreyfus. Ah, uh, this is his voice. Go with the actors. What? His Go. voice? Yeah. He's in it. Oh, he's the writer at the end, isn't he? Yes. Ah, uh, there you go. Richard Dreyfus, of course. Directed by Rob Reiner. Rob Reiner. What other Rob Reiner films do you like, I guess? Do I like Misery? Misery, Okay. A uh, few good men is fantastic. Ooh, yeah, good good pick there. A few good men is fantastic. Did he do Spinal Tap? He did do Spinal Tap, and that's yeah. fantastic as well. I'm not a fan, but yeah, okay. Princess Bride. Yeah, okay. He did really. He did. He's got a decent little resume, doesn't he? He does. Well, in terms of this film, after he screened this film for Stephen King, he noticed that King was actually shaking and he he wasn't speaking. And after he left the room, he came back and said that this was the best adaptation of any of his works he's ever seen. Bear in mind, this was in 1986. Before Shawshank. Before Shawshank. So, obviously, this film is made up of a very young cast, predominantly. These three young lads, they got up to a lot of shit. Three? Four. Did I say three? There's four young lads, Hendo. River Phoenix actually lost his virginity whilst filming Yes, he did. Good on him. What a champion. (laughs) I know. He would have been like 15, maybe 14. Apparently with a family friend. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> he came into work one day apparently with a big smile on his face and wrote a piece of pa- wrote on a piece of paper to Rob Reiner saying it finally happened. <laughs> like finally, you're 15, mate. <laughs> also saw that Corey Feldman drank alcohol, kissed a girl off screen and smoked pot for the first time during that uh, shooting schedule as well. Mm, no doubt the last time. Really? <laughs> I don't buy that. Mm. Yeah, so they got up to a lot of bad stuff. Shenanigans. Yeah, uh, including Throwing all the uh, furniture that they had in their hotels into the pool. I mean, it was pool furniture. They're not throwing their, their, still furniture. their sofas in their room. It's not in the designed pool. to be in the pool. <laughs> it's pool furniture. Apparently, Will Wheaton was fixing video games in the lobby so he could play them for free. Ooh, what a rebel. <laughs> these other guys are having sex and smoking pot. And he's like, hey, guys, I fix these uh, video got, games. We I don't got, even uh, have to pay for them. I got Gallagher going over here. <laughs> Classic Will Wheaton. Whatever happened to that guy? <laughs> I heard he went on to write a couple of books. Yeah, so he yeah, wrote That's a lot of voice books. acting. Does he? A lot of voice acting. DC movies? I think so. Yeah. There's so many of them. There is. <laughs> We're talking about River Phoenix and how awesome that guy is. He unknowingly covered Kiefer Sutherland's car in mud 
only to discover whose car it was when Sutherland confronted him to be a very scared and nervous phoenix afterwards. <laughs> if, he was anything, if, if Kiefer Sutherland was anything like Ace in this film, I'd be scared shitless too. Or if he's anything like Jack Bauer. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Maybe it's not a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> this film was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. Yeah, I saw it had the one Oscar nomination. Yeah, it's not a bad little one to have. I mean, if I had to pick one, I'd say writing. Yep, yep, I'd agree too. This film had a budget of about $8 million back then. Yeah, and the studio that actually was financing it went under or sold to someone else and it was going to was gonna go bust. But one of the three owners of the studio actually liked this, this project so much that he fronted the $8 million bill himself. What an investment it was because it made $52 million in America. Damn, yeah. in America? Yeah. Very nice. And with an average of 8.1 over 330,000 ratings, it's currently sitting at number 190 on the list. None too shabby. Certainly not going anywhere. Absolutely not. All right, Hendo, you got a plot summary for us this week? Of course I do. After the death of a friend, a writer recounts a boyhood journey to find the body of a missing boy. Boy! Boy! (laughs) All right, Dean, let's get into it. It's been a while. Let's do it. It really has been a while since we've done a breakdown. Yeah. So we had Grand Budapest, obviously, was the last one, but that we recorded ages ago. So the last one we did was a thing, and that feels like forever ago. What did you think of these nice little black title credits? Just this stand by me and nice calligraphy that comes up. Nothing. Well, we're off to a good start, aren't we? <laughs> oh, that's just nothing. Like We always talk about the title credits that come no, up. we talk about opening shots. I wouldn't call the, the stand by me writing on a black screen the well, opening well, shot. I didn't say it was the opening shot. What do you, did you think of the opening shot? Well, it was, a, it was really nice. Like It was this really long shot of a field. You got crickets chirping. And you got this stand by me theme, just the tune, just yeah. slowly playing in the background. I actually wasn't sure if the song was made for this movie. No, it wasn't. Yeah, I'm aware now. Yeah. They actually got Michael Jackson of all people, look out kids, to record <laughs> to record a like a cover of Stand By Me for the movie, but Rob Reiner said that he felt the the older original song suited the film much better. Wise choice, Rob Reiner. Stand by me. <laughs> wow. No? Uh, so much so that this this Stand By Me song uh, actually re-entered the top ten US billboards. I think that happened with a couple of other songs that got reintroduced to other movies. I, I imagine that My Sharona, when that got re-released for Reality Bites, I think uh, early 90s, that became a massive song again. I don't think I've seen Reality Bites. I haven't either. Fair enough. Why do I, why do I need to have I seen I don't know. You're just like, when you started talking about My Sharona, I was like, what the hell are you talking about? And you're like, oh, Reality Bites. Oh, I forgot that my movie knowledge is much far superior to yours. Sorry. Is much far superior, just like your Unlike English. my English. <laughs> So just speaking. How come of- every time I have an awesome thing to tell you, I fuck it up with English? <laughs> uh, just on Stand By Me, the title of a film. So it's based on a novella by Stephen King, obviously, called The Body, and was actually included in the same uh, collection of short stories that included Shawshank Redemption. It's a nice little bundle to be a part of. Certainly is. And Rob Reiner didn't want the movie to be called The Body. The because- Body? Because he thought that audiences would think it would either be a highly sexualized sort of film or, more likely, more in the theme of a Stephen King horror film, which obviously it's not. Yeah, so why do you think he went with Stand By Me? Was it, do you think it was just because of the song that he wanted to use? Do you think it has to do with the theme of all the boys standing by each other? 
I mean, yeah, obviously the theme of of these boys being of their friendship is what drives this film. Absolutely. And Stand By Me, the song, the lyrics, it all fits really well in. So very wise decision to go with Stand By Me. We get at the start here, obviously Will Wheaton's Gordy sitting in the car as he's a bit older. Sees a couple of lads ride past on their bikes. And he starts to reminisce. He does, oh, he does see the newspaper first of the... Attorney? Attorney Christopher Chambers fatally stabbed in restaurant Oregon. And that's when you get the, the voiceover about how he remembers the first time he saw a dead body. And you hear that, you're like, whoa, that's interesting. Back in 1959. Yeah, just back to those boys riding past on the bikes. Do you think they were actually there? I mean, is there any evidence to indicate that they're not? I don't know. I just thought, when I saw it, I just thought, geez, is he like, he's seen this, he's singing about his old best friend, and he sees these two boys, we don't see their faces. We just see the backs of them riding off. I just thought, gee, I reckon there's a strong chance that uh, he was just reminiscing a bit there. No, I think that that triggered his memory. I think he saw the newspaper, he saw the bike go past, and that triggered the memory. Fair enough. So, obviously, back in the flashback to 1959, where they're all young kids now in Castle Rock, hanging out in the treehouse. This already, I'm just like getting nostalgic feels of when I was a... You know, a 12-year-old and hanging out with me mates. In a treehouse? Yeah, we made a treehouse. God, I never had a treehouse. Didn't you? Our treehouse was shit. I mean... It was like, it was like a it was like a foot off the ground. It's <laughs> not a tree. It was in a tree, all right? <laughs> no, I just... Going back to the writing, like, I love... There's so many great lines in this film, particularly with the voiceover. And this one here... It happened in the summer of 1959, a long time ago. But only if you measure in terms of years. Like, I just think that really captures how close he still is to this moment. That even though it was in years a long time ago, he still thinks of it as yesterday. And more so, he's still he's still that little boy to some extent. Yeah. And I really did. Uh, yeah, I really like lines like that. They really capture the essence of what's going on here. So it's at this point with his voiceover, this is essentially the book that he's writing now, isn't it? Everything yeah. he's saying is going into his book. Yes. This is where we get all four boys together. What do you think of their performances? Who stood out to you? River Phoenix. River Phoenix is quality in this film. He is really good in this film. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, Corey Feldman is Corey Feldman. Like, he's doing him. Like, I feel like he's always, like, that character. Yeah. Uh, who else? Jerry O'Connell. He was actually surprisingly good. Considering, it's bizarre to see Jerry O'Connell what like that with his career. <laughs> yeah, looking at you, Sliders and Tomcats. Hey, and Sliders was really good. He's in Scream Two as well. Fair enough. I'd say the weakest though is Will Wheaton. Yeah, yeah. I think he's pretty good in this. Uh, he's not bad. I just think the other three really stand out. But maybe that's just by virtue of having a main character that's just like an an everyman and every boy. You know, like the, all the others have pretty. Pretty big personalities. He's just your sort of every guy. See, I think that Teddy and Vern are the secondary characters to Geordie oh, I mean, and Chris. Gordy and Chris. There's no there's no um there's no debate there. The story is really about these two best friends. Yeah. And you get these two that come along with them. And they're great supporting characters. But I do like this scene in the treehouse where from immediately you get that, yes, these are like young boys. They're all, I think, about 12 years old. Yes. I think I read actually that Chris was meant to be 13 and that he'd been held back a grade. That would make sense to the character. Yeah. He definitely does seem more mature and yeah. more of a leader to them. But I just, I picked up immediately that they're, even though they are young, they are being presented to us as like real people who, like, they're a bit edgy, you know, like they're smoking, they're swearing, they're telling dirty jokes. 
It was really refreshing because you don't often see kids that age speaking like that, which is how kids speak at that age. Yeah, like every like as I was watching this, I would just keep thinking about how was I when I was 12 years old? And it was like that. Like we'd hang out with our mates and we'd tell stupid jokes and we'd curse. Some of us were smoking, some of us weren't. At 12? No, we weren't. You were, were you we, a no, bit I was of a never rebel, were you? Oh, No, I was never a smoker. Jesus. I didn't know you had it in you. My mates were probably smoking by the time they were 15, maybe. 15, yeah. Yeah, not 12. No, but 12, just riding around on their bikes, just having the time of their life. And especially here back in the 50s when there's no there's no technology, there's no anything. you got to make up your own adventures. Mm. And it's awesome that you see them sitting in their treehouse just playing cards, smoking. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Actually, Rob Reiner, who is a avid anti-smoker person, made them smoke uh, cabbage leaves. I mean, you could if he was that avid of an anti-smoker, I think you could take the cigarettes away and you still get the same impressions of them. Uh, I think them having the cigarettes makes them feel more cooler, like they're more rebels. Yeah, but if he's an anti-smoker, he's presenting these characters, these kids on film smoking in a way that appears to be cool. It's a very odd yeah. thing that All he's the done. 12-year-olds out there going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be like yeah, exactly. uh, Gordy and exactly. smoke up a storm. Good job, Rob. Yeah. But we hear about Teddy and his crazy dad. His burnt ear. Yeah, they did a pretty good job with the, the very convincing, of his burnt yeah. ear. I do like Teddy and his relationship with his dad, though, because- by all accounts, he should hate him. Like, he's abused by this, this sounds like a crazy man, who clearly is suffering from PTSD, but he's-, he's if, just- he, if he even was in the war. Why do you say that? Well, going forward to the conversation with the, the junkyard guy, hmm. uh, he was saying that he's, he's just a crazy guy. He was never in the war. Oh, I missed that. Did he actually say that I'm he wasn't pre- in the war? I'm pretty sure he was saying something like, "You, dad's just a loon. He, n- he never did any of this stuff. Like, he was, just, he's just a crazy guy. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I could have misinterpreted that. He could have actually been in the war and he's come back and spouted some shit that he didn't. What did, what did they say? He stormed the beach in Normandy. That's the one. <laughs> My dad stormed the beach in Normandy. <laughs> and at that point when I was watching, I was like, that can't be true. And I'm like, oh, no, this is the 50s. So, like, it could actually happen. <laughs> I have to remember. Oh, yeah, that's right. So we have Vern here telling the he gets in the, he get, comes into the treehouse, tells him the story of how he was uh, first off trying to find his pennies that he buried and he uh, lost the map or something. His mum ditched the map, and like he's got no idea where it is. Like there are holes everywhere. Yeah. It's not like he's just focusing on one area. It's just somewhere under the house. Idiot. Clearly the George of the group. <laughs> Zing. <laughs> but this is where he overhears the story of the dead body mm. with his brother and his mate. Yeah, it's it's really here where we got the you know, the driving plot of it, where this kid Ray Brower, three days prior, had gone to pick blueberries. It's a long way to fucking go to pick blueberries and had disappeared. So and these these two guys, the older guys, are too shit scared to report it to the cops or anyone because they got there in a stolen dodge. So Vern, obviously very excited at the news, goes and tells his buddy and says, Right, let's go for a gigantic walk. <laughs> you, sound, you make it sound like such a bore. They're, like the distance they cover is huge. What else have they got to do? I know, but it's fucking long. Have you gone on any big long walks not in your time? Da- nah, not days. Like this is a walk that you can't do in one day. Obviously, have you? I've probably gone on big long day walks, yes. Yeah, I've gone on day walks. I've hiked around Wilson's Prom when I was probably their age. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so this is where we get some of the family life with- Gordy. Yeah, and we find out his older brother, Denny, passed away recently in a I, car accident. Was that right? Yeah, I yeah. forgot that uh, John Cusack was in this film. Uh, no idea he was in this. And um, is this 
before he got a little bit famous with like all the 80s films he was in, like Say Anything. Was this before Say Anything? Say Anything 80s. I haven't seen it. I haven't either, but I'm, <laughs> well, I don't have to see every film to know, to not, like I know I, what these films I, I are. I don't think he was at all famous. Because in this one, like he's- He's probably Kiefer Sutherland levels of famous right now. Oh, no, nah, I think Sutherland's much famous, much more famous in this film. than Probably only because of his dad though. Yeah, good point. But yeah, he's got such a little role in this film as- Big Brother Denny. Oh, it's pivotal. It absolutely is. But he's not in it for very long. Yeah, it is a good scene where we get this flashback with him and they have their hugs and all that. The dad is such a prick, though. Holy shit, this guy. He's a piece of work. Even in the next flashback where they're at the dinner table, he just doesn't give a shit about what Gordy's up to. He's just, he's all about Denny. Hey, he's playing football. He's And and Denny's like, well, he's he just wrote a story. He did, what, he's wrote, wrote yeah, a story? Great story, you know? Yeah. And then the mum's like, the mum's like, oh, you've, you've seen some girls there, Denny. And the dad won't even allow that sort of talk. He's like, what are you, tells the mum off for that. Yeah. Don't mention girls. No, he's playing his footy. You basically put a ranking list of who's got the worst dad in this one. I think Vern would be number one with the best dad because we never hear about him. Yeah, Vern's clearly the winner. All right, what's the next best dad? So this one, so... Gordy's dad makes him feel like shit mentally. Teddy's uh, dad Teddy's, I think Teddy's burns his ear off. Yeah. Teddy, although he loves him, so... <laughs> That's got nothing to do with it. He's going through... I would say that Teddy's dad is going through some PTSD. He's got some emotional problems. Slightly burnt his ear a bit. Yes. So I it's mean, like these, physical abuse. These, What's these, worse, physical or mental abuse? Oh, I know mental, but... What's with Chris's dad? What was his go? Is there anything... It's just a bad family. That's what it was. All right, so I'd say it's... Vern, Chris, Gordy, and Teddy. So you rank the physical abuse worse than mental abuse? Yeah, because I I think that the dad isn't actually targeting Gordy, saying your shit, your shit. He's just ignoring him. He's just oh, ignoring he does. his efforts. In the, first, in the first scene after the first flashback, he's like, "Why can't you have friends like Denny?" What? That's not that bad. Oh, it's pretty mean. Say, so why can't you have friends like your brother? He's telling him his friends are shit. Not telling his shit. Uh, he's 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 not nice. Anyway. So we've got Chris and Gordy walking around, and Chris pulls out a bloody gun. Oh, yeah, he takes them around the back of the whatever place this is, and they're mucking around with the gun. Says it's not loaded. <laughs> then bang, shit themselves. <laughs> uh, and he's like, he's like, Gordy, Gordy, I swear, I swear I didn't know it was loaded. Oh, these these things are great. These pinky swears, cross your hearts. These are the things you used to do. Yeah. I like how the first level of swearing is like, you swear on your mum. But yeah, it escalates to the pinky swear. <laughs> that is the be all the and echelon. <laughs> but here they bump into his brother Eyeball and Ace, played Ace. by Jack Bauer. Yes, indeed. Now Ace takes Denny's hat, who Gordy's wearing, obviously, and he gives it off to Eyeball straight away. And they actually were debating whether or not Ace should wear it. And Rob Reiner said, no, nah, Ace would never wear it because it'll mess up his hair. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, I think it also shows how little he cares for the actual hat. He's not taking it because he wants it. He's taking it because he wants to- Because he's an asshole. Yeah, he wants to inflict some some emotional pain on Gordy. What do you think of Keith Sutherland in this film? He's good. Yeah. Plays the bully asshole very well. It's a natural fit for him, yeah. Have, have you seen The Lost Boys? I have. Have you? No. 80s is in my area of expertise. Sorry, no. Gidget. Oh, I don't, I don't like The Lost Boys. I saw, it no. too, I saw it way too late. That's also got the Corys in it, doesn't it? Yes. Interesting. Hmm. I know I have to see it eventually. It's about like vampires and shit. Yeah. Vampires and shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't think it holds up. Even Ace getting a bit physical here with Chris and shoving him to the ground after he, what did he do? He called him an asshole or something? Yeah. He said, take it back. Take it back. Yeah. Like, fuck. 
Like, bullies were rough back then. Just in the middle of the street, just shoving him to the ground and making him, what, kiss the cigarette? Lick the cigarette, whatever he was doing? No, he was threatening to burn his face Oh, that's the, the one, yeah. yeah. So they're on the adventure. Just find the dead body. I love, because I was watching this, they're all walking along the tracks. So I'm like, gee, they'd have to take a lot of food and drink and stuff for this. <laughs> all I can see is, like, one little drink bottle, but... And then they mentioned it's like, hey, you got the food? I thought you were getting it. I got the comb. I bought the comb. <laughs> you, don't even, you don't even have any hair. It was for you, <laughs> asshole. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Vern's classic. You know what I liked? The two for flinch. Did you? Yeah. Especially later on when it comes back to Vern. Yeah. Uh, he has the opportunity and Teddy brings it back on him. Yeah. Even when he's scared, he wakes like the sounds with the coyotes and Vern freaks out as Teddy comes up to him to whisper something and he goes, two for flinch, and just, <laughs> just smashes him because of that. Works well. You notice that uh, all combined they had $2.37? 237. 237, famous Stephen King number. Yeah, so you could basically sum this film up as a couple mates on an adventure, honestly. And it's nice to see this kind of simple era where technology was nothing and you had to entertain yourself with the great outdoors. I remember when I was that age, I lived around a reserve area and me and my mates would make day trips. We would head on out. We'd have, It was about the year 2000. We, we'd... We had a little bit more technology then. We had a, a speaker in the back of my bag with a Walkman attached to it, a Discman, and we had uh, Smooth Criminal by Alien Ant Farm on repeat as we're walking down the street. And as we head into the reserve, there was one day where me and my mate, we stumbled across the lake that was nearby and decided to- you were to- going to say a dead body. No, not a dead body. We started to do a little fishing at the lake and caught an eel. Now- uh, How were you fishing? With a stick and a line and hook. So you just happened to have been carrying around hooks- and line. Yeah. That's weird. Why? You're just walking around and, oh, look, there's We a went lake. into a reserve. So you went there knowing you were going to go fishing? No, we had it with us in Why? case. <laughs> what? I'm very curious. We're going into reserve. I'm very, go- very curious what else made the, let's take it just in case cut. Uh, snake bite kit. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're doing a little bit of light fishing and we caught an eel. Now, back then, I didn't know the difference between a regular eel and an electric eel because I just assumed electric eels. So we didn't want to touch it. So we were you, were you eely scared? Oh, give it a rest. <laughs> They're not all buddy gems, okay? <laughs> just I see the opportunities and I go for them. <laughs> no, so we spent about twenty minutes with two twigs trying to pull this hook out of this eel because we didn't want to touch it. In the end, we killed it. How? Stepping on it, putting our foot down on it to pull <gasps> the hook out, and a little. Bit too much pressure. Yeah, we were, we were young kids. You, you feel big, do you? Huh? No, I don't. Tough guy over here. Very sad moment. Emotional. Moving on. <laughs> what do you think of Teddy trying to dodge the train? I mean, he's a weird unit, isn't he? He is, but I he's mean, had that kind of was uh, he upbringing. Gonna, was he going to dodge it? We'll never know. I think he was going to try. I think he wants to be that kind of cool guy who can say, yeah, I dodged the train. I don't think he's there to get hit by it, especially with his mates there. He hasn't given- And I guess at the end, he's like, I could have dodged it, you yeah. know? Like, I was going to dodge it. He doesn't seem like the suicidal kind of person. Like, I mean, he kind of does. No, I think his attitude so far has just been a little nutty, but like having good, having good time with his mates. He's not going to just simply turn and go, train's coming, I'm going to kill myself. Yeah. Kudos to Chris for stepping up and doing something. Chris is the man. Like, he is the, the leader of this group. He- even though he is some sort of a rebel, I guess, he has a lot of smarts going on. As you, as we find out, he becomes a lawyer. He just needs to apply himself. He's definitely the one that they look up to the most. Yeah. Did you ever skin it? I feel like I've skinned it in the past, you know, wiping hands together as a sign of uh, 
friendship respect, I guess. You're Maybe. trying to think of a sex joke or something. <laughs> yeah, you said something like, oh, I think I've skinned it before. Like, sounds weird. <laughs> sounds like something you'd do. That's what they say. <laughs> Skin it. <laughs> Look at these punk asshole blokes smashing the letterboxes. Yeah. You sons of bitches. They're playing it like it's a, it's a baseball game. They're in innings. How many letterboxes are in this town? I understand why they need to keep cutting to Ace and the gang to justify them coming back at the end and so they're still a part of the whole story and not just like first and last scene, but it's a weak part of the film for me, especially this one. This is just means nothing for plot. Is there any conversation here about the other two wanting to tell them about the dead body? Because oh, they float, they it, float com- that. it comes up much in a much more real sense than next scene. And they don't do it. Yeah. So you don't need to keep teasing it, teasing it, teasing it, and then do it. You can just... Yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> I love the the very relaxed and uh, real talk that these kids have at this junkyard. I think that's tits are getting bigger. Think so? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> this is what they would be talking about. I, like, I know. It's just... It's classic. It's just... <laughs> yeah. I love the uh, the sick balls. It's a sick and boy. <laughs> A chopper. Yeah, turns out it's a bloody golden retriever. And that, that scene is hilarious Absolutely. when they like, I'm not sure if they freeze frame or they just go slow motion. It, it'd be slow motion. Slow motion, they cut out the, the, the noise and you go to the voiceover and it's just like... Now he said, sick him, boy. But what I heard was, chopper, sick balls. <laughs> and just cuts him like screaming bloody murder as he's running along. <laughs> that was really funny. And as you say, the reveal that it's this friendly golden retriever is, yeah. is classic. But the way that these kids talk to this guy, and more so the way that this guy talks to them, like, you just, I feel like you don't get that anymore. I feel like- No, no way. Adults and kids cannot talk to each other like this anymore. Absolutely not. So, yeah, it was interesting. We did miss a, a little section here before they leave the junkyard, but they're having more conversations. This is where we learned that Chris actually saved Teddy from, was it falling out of the tree? Must have been. He caught him. When Gordy and Chris are walking along, having their chat while the other two have run off ahead, yeah. he does mention something about how, more to the point of Teddy standing in front of that train and how Chris actually saved him once once before this happened as well. And I think it's led to believe that uh, Teddy must have been falling out of the treehouse or something and Chris caught him, saved him. Oh, okay. Hmm. We got another cut to the Aces gang carving Cobra into their arms with a blade. Yeah, just showing us yet how again, tough they are. They are big, tough, bad boys. Yep. We got a great scene here. Uh, really delving into the the insecurities of Gordy here. So Chris and Gordy are walking along, and Gordy is understandably so extraordinarily insecure when you got a parent who basically hates you and says yeah. you're not good enough. Compared, you'll to you. never be good enough. Yeah, you'll never be good enough. So he's just walking around. And he's just he's so vulnerable here, and I really did like Will Wheaton here with his performance when he's just like, "Do you think I'm weird?" Definitely. No, man, seriously. Am I weird? And Chris gives a fantastic answer. Yeah, but so what? Everybody's weird. Yeah. It's just like he's allowing him to accept like, yeah, you're weird, but that's okay. Hmm. Like we're all weird. People just show it in a different way. I, I really did like that. But we also get not just Gordy's insecurities, but we get Chris's insecurities, which we haven't really seen. He's always come across so far as, as you've said, this strong leader type that they look up to, but... He's just resigned to the fact that while Gordy's doing these college courses, he's going to be making bloody birdhouses and ashtrays in, you know, in shop. You yeah, know? and that would have a lot to do with his family's mentality and him and them basically not giving him the time of day, like not not pushing him to do this stuff. 
He's already said he's had a, he's got a rough family and he's just going to fall in line with them. Yeah, and like Gordy says, like fuck riding, it's a stupid thing to do. And Chris is like, hold on. Yeah, he he puts him in his he puts him in his place. Like, don't say that. Do not say that. Like, you are going to go somewhere with this. Yeah, he's yeah. really calling him out on his bullshit. Like, that's not you speaking. That's your father speaking. Yeah. And I know that they're like the same age or maybe a year different, but really, he is he's the father figure Absolutely. here that he needs. He is the guy that is supporting him for what he can do, not trying to make him conform to do something else or just tell him in, telling him he's rubbish at everything and he'll go nowhere. He's essentially taken on this father figure role from Denny since he's passed away. Like He, he knows that Gordy is going to be you know, quite vulnerable about all this and he's, he's really stepping up as the best friend and you know the leader to guide him through this. Yeah, it's a really, really touching scene. But as they continue along the train track, they make the... Somewhat questionable decision to walk along the bridge. Uh, I mean, they could have walked a bit faster. Okay, here's my thing. I don't think it's questionable. There's no way they're going to walk that far around. Okay, if you're they're in, they're not like in a city town. They're in, in the middle of nowhere. Okay, you would fair hear enough. a train coming. But then, as you say, stop dicking around. They walk so slowly, and he drops the comb, and he lays down, and they have a chat. Maybe another run. cigarette along the run. way. Run. From <laughs> yeah. the get-go, once you decide to do it, you run. Yep. Just take that shot and go for it. And when you've got Gordy and Vern at the at the arse end trying to hurry up, Rob Reiner said that he wasn't convinced with their performance. They didn't look scared at all. So he was abusing them, like yelling at them, telling them they're no good, to the point where they actually started crying, like not acting, like for real getting upset at what at the disciplinary actions this director was taking with them. And that's the shot they use. Like that's that's what they needed, you know. That's that's the emotion they needed for this scene. Uh, so. Let's add child abuse to this uh, oh, movie. It's, it's okay back then. <laughs> Actually, the shot they used where they were running towards the camera with the train behind them. Was they had the train was actually at the far end of the trestle with the two actors on the opposite end, and they used this 600 millimeter long focus lens that, when shot at the telephoto end, it compressed the image so much that it made it look like the train was right behind them. It's funny you say that because to me, it made it look like they were running against a green screen. Really? It looked terrible. Like they were like that weird run where they're actually not running; they're standing there, standing in their spot, jogging. Yeah, like I, I didn't. <laughs> it was a really bad. Shot. I didn't pick up on that. I thought it looked. Fine. Oh, I watched it with Brett, and both of us were like, wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. I mean, don't get me wrong. It is still a great scene. There is a lot of tension to it. Yes. But, yeah, no, it was a bit It was a bit funny. Even just that shot of Gordy looking behind him, you can. it's just silent. There's nothing there. But he puts his hand on the rail, and then Train! that slow-mo, yeah. Yeah, you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> so, I didn't remember that how they got, like, if they made it to the end or if they... I thought at one point they were just going to jump off into the water. I couldn't remember how they... Ma- I obviously knew they didn't die. Yeah. But I just didn't know how they got off the tracks. So, yeah, the fact that they were, like, a couple of metres away and they fell a little bit down the track, the hill... Yeah. Yeah, it was good. It was. And then as soon as as soon as Chris and Teddy know they're okay, they crack a joke. <laughs> so it's like, you're all good. Now we can get back into it. and get this little scene at the campfire. There's some funny lines here. Talk about the Hershey stains in uh, Vince's yeah. hands. <laughs> Does that cook your penis? It'll be a small meal. <laughs> Zing. Uh, how ridiculous is it? They eat their little marshmallow, cuts them having a smoke, and Ben's like, nothing like a good cigarette after a meal. Like, you're 12. <laughs> you had a marshmallow. <laughs> what do you think of this pie-eating contest story? Very memorable. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's almost the thing that comes to mind most when I think of this film, Lardass. 
Yeah. It's, I mean, it's very funny. I love the mayor in this scene where he's trying to be, like, <laughs> respectful, but he's like, come on, Lardas. I, I mean, whatever his name is, David Hoogie. Boy, are you fat. <laughs> no, it is a really, like, great story being told here. And the, the yeah. storytelling techniques from Gordy here, they're really... Yeah, they're really effective, and seeing- so so much so that it gives that visual interpretation to us actually experiencing the story. I love that they did that. Yeah. Like it wouldn't be wouldn't be half be as good. Yeah, but yeah. just see him chugging the castor oil oh. and the raw egg. Oh, I love how there's only like the four or five guys at the front eating the pies, but everyone is throwing up blueberries. Yes, <laughs> that was great. <laughs> that was good. Bafurama. Nah, very fun story. And again, we get another great line when they're at the, the campfire and they say, We talked into the night. The kind of talk that seemed important until you discover girls. <laughs> <laughs> this is really true. Like, yeah, once you, is, once you hear like, puberty and stuff, so much of the private discussions between you know teenage boys is about girls. So absolutely. Before that, it's, it's very funny. It's a good observation. So they get a little scared by some coyote noises. They start to stand guard one at a time with, with the gun. I love Vern. Just shit scared of every little noise. Just fling it back and forth. He's a little scaredy cat. Scaredy cat. Yeah. Big words. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's in character. And you got Teddy who's shouting army marches or whatever while the others are trying to sleep. That's in character too. And then you get another conversation between Chris and Gordy here. You get the you get the funeral dream first. Yeah, and this is one that I wasn't sure if he was dreaming as though he's like obviously he's dreaming, but I'm not sure if this thing really happened. Like it might it might have happened up until a point. I mean, I I could see the dad at the funeral just being like, "Should have been you." Oh, I don't know. From everything we've seen from him, come on. <laughs> Again, I don't think he's that bad in the real life. He doesn't outright tell him, you are scum, I, I do not like you. Well, he doesn't have to. <laughs> in a degree, yes, because this is in his mind. This is how he's being perceived by Gordy. Exactly. But again, I don't think he said that at the funeral. Hmm. I mean, I'm not saying he definitely did. I'm just saying there's a possibility. you got to be a bit more open-minded sometimes, Hendo. No. No. <laughs> okay, so Gordy wakes up and he tells Chris that he didn't cry at Denny's funeral and that he really misses him. Touching. Very nice. Well acted. Yeah, no, it is. And this is where Chris breaks down as well about his life and his family. Yeah, this is where the roles are reversed and you've got Gordy supporting Chris saying he has to do the college courses with him. And Chris is like, oh, they won't let me. And then, he, as you say, he tells this story where he's like, he stole the milk money and everyone just assumed it was him. And he's like, they didn't even ask if I did it. <laughs> and then there's just a silent and Gordy's like, did you take it? Yeah, I took it. <laughs> but no, it's, yeah, River Phoenix is great here. Um, I saw that Rob Reiner wasn't quite satisfied with the performance and he told he told River to just imagine the biggest moment where an adult has let you down and just harness all that emotion and have that come out there. A really, really good scene. Yeah, he poured it all out. Realist, like real, this was his real emotions coming out. And, you know, after the scene was done, he was still in tears, so they had to comfort him afterwards because he wasn't acting here. Yeah, and he's saying, like, the crux of it is he was, he's been betrayed by, by a teacher, someone who should be a role model for him, someone he should be able to trust and look up to, and he just he wishes he could go somewhere where no one knows who he is. So mm. Strong words. 
It is. He starts crying and says- Gets comforted by Gordy. Thinks he's a pussy, you know? That's what you do when you're a lad and you start crying. You, you try and butch back up and- I know I do. Him. Every time. Every time. I watch The Notebook, I'm like, such a pussy. I'm such a pussy. <laughs> uh, I like this little scene where he- Sees the deer, and then you overhear that he never told anyone about, about that. And this is the first time he's actually telling everyone in his, in his voiceover his story. What do you think of that? What do you mean? Why do you think he didn't tell anyone? What's the importance of the deer scene? Do you want me to take this one? Yeah, I'd like to hear what you say. <laughs> sure. Um, so the way I saw it was that you've got to remember, and the voiceover does remind us at times throughout that at the end of the day, they're going to see a dead body, right? And this is a world for Gordy where he gets no love from his parents. His brother, who was fantastic and supported him, has died. They're on the way to see a dead body. The world's pretty ugly to this guy right now. And he's sitting there in nature and he sees this beautiful deer, this pure, natural thing. And it's. I think he sees it as a sign of hope. And it reminds him, it reminds him of the, you know, the goodness in the world. And I think that he doesn't go back and tell anyone because he wants to hold on to that to that feeling and he he feels like if he goes back to these 12 year olds they're not going to see the importance of it that he's going to he go does. back and say oh I saw this awesome they're just, looking they're deer just and they're going to call him a pussy. pussy yeah when clearly it was very dear to him oh you pain me <laughs> <laughs> you, you you cause me physical pain oh i love it <laughs> you son of a bitch was that all for that pun oh that <laughs> In my notes, it's like, tell a story and aim for this pun at some stage. <laughs> yeah, this is you. Scene. Sees a deer. Put in deer pun. <laughs> <laughs> Must use deer pun at all costs. <laughs> I did like, this is one of the better ace scenes where the voiceover, where you see Billy and Charlie um, both independently telling two other <laughs> gang members their secret. And the, the voiceover says, Billy and Charlie had managed to keep their enormous secret for about 36 hours, a personal record for both of them. <laughs> Here's another memorable scene, very memorable scene, the leeches. Definitely. This is the this is probably the scene that I remember the most from when I saw it, when I was back at school. I just, actually watched this at school. Yeah, so did I, that's why I just said it. Oh, really? <laughs> no, that's not why I said it. Huh. <laughs> uh Definitely a weird feeling when he pulls the leech out of the pants and there's blood everywhere. Like, like, oh, don't want that to happen. Well, to an extent, you know. <laughs> God, stop it! <laughs> I did. I did like some sucking down there. Stop. Would be nice. <laughs> oh, I did like. How he puts the stick into the puddle and he's like, yeah, this is fine. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was funny. So that that puddle pond swamp was actually man-made. Like the um, the filmmakers did go out and make this because they couldn't obviously have these actors walking through a swamp where they don't know what's in there. And interestingly enough, actually, this film was made not long after the Twilight movie and in that film... Three actors, a couple of which at least were children, actually died in an explosion. So rules and regulations around what you could and could not do with child actors in regards to like OHS was really ramping up. So they did go out and make this themselves. Problem is, from the time they made it to the time they filmed in it was roughly three months. Basically it became a lake. It basically <laughs> it become a swamp yeah. on its own. <laughs> and much like most little groups of young lads would do, they're going to start fighting over nonsense. Much after when Gordy is just sitting there 
thinking about what has just happened and they all start fighting about we should go home no let's head on all start a little punch on that's when Gordy snaps tells him to shut up oh he walks off and he says even if no one would have followed him he would have kept going yeah because at this point they they need to they need to see this well Gordy does more than anyone yes very good point but we get another ace scene here the chicken yeah I like this one yeah yeah this is this is the one that shows ace at his full ace <sighs> It's just every scene is the same. Like, let's show how tough Ace is. But this is the one that caps it right before the final scene. Okay. But seriously, this guy's a fucking nutcase. Yeah. <laughs> he is. Like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> he drives his fucking truck off the road. Oh, I didn't. I, I did. I did not remember how this played out. Me neither. I thought he was going to cut in front of the other car. I didn't. I didn't yeah. remember that the truck actually drove off the road. Yeah. Did you notice that as they're walking along the track? I think it's the scene right before this. They're all eating blueberries. No, that's what they're that's what they're they're munching on. So around this place, because we hear this Ray Bauer was looking for blueberries, and you can tell they're getting closer because now they're the ones eating the blueberries. Interestingly, it is blueberry pies that they're eating as well in the Lada story. It's all about blueberries, but they do manage to find the body, which is my excellent. See, finally finding this body, it unleashes all this outpour of emotion from Gordy about his brother's death his father having no interest in him, and Chris is there to comfort him through this difficult part of his life. But we see that boldness and growth come through very quickly as Ace rocks up with the gang to basically steal the body off of them. Both Chris and Gordy stand up to him, which really shows how much they've grown on this journey. This was very much a big turning point in their lives, so much so to make the decision to not have anyone take the body and to do it anonymously instead. Very big growth from both these characters here. A true coming of age. How'd you find the the whole gum plot? Did you think it was too much? No. I thought it bordered on a little little bit unbelievable for me, to be honest. That they would have a gun? I don't know. That they would have it, yeah. I mean, it was always going to come back. But I don't know that, that, that he would be able to convince Ace that Ace didn't get the upper hand. I think he was quite convincing that, especially when Ace says, What are you going to do, shoot us all? Always. Just you. Yeah, that was like, a good line. Yeah, that was a good I line. think that's what sealed it. Mm. Yeah, no, that because, was good. Because of Ace stealing his brother's hat earlier on as well, I think the seriousness on Gordy's face, you know, the, the click back of the hammer, mm. I think he, I think it shows. I think he's being serious. Like, yeah. I don't know if he actually is being serious, but he's definitely showing the tendencies of someone who's being serious. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think we've got to talk about the importance of, or at least the correlation between Gordy's brother dying and him finding, well, not finding, but seeing another dead body. Hmm. And I feel like that he needs to maybe have some meaning for it. Like when he does break down before Ace and the gang comes, he says to Chris, like, why did he have to die? Yeah. You know, and like he's not saying to Chris, like, why did my brother have to die? He's like, why did he have to die? And Chris knows, like, they're talking about the brother here. Yeah. Like I just think that... I don't know. Maybe maybe he gets more acceptance from seeing another another dead body. That it's not just you know like the only dead person he knows is, is the closest person to him, his brother. But you know, yeah, other people die. It is part of life. Is death, and mm-hmm. yeah, it goes more in line with why this is such a, as you say, coming of age film. I think we also need to talk about Chris and his reaction to Ace as well. The fact that he he's obviously standing up to him, but the fact that Ace has come at him with the knife, he's basically saying, you're going to have to kill me, and he stands there and t- almost takes the knife to the throat. Like, mm. is that some sort of suicidal tendencies there as well for him? But Chris? Yeah. 
oh, I wouldn't have got that. I wouldn't have got suicidal tendencies. I would just say that that's how not just loyal, but instinctively good Chris is. And I think you look back as well at, you know, when he does die, he does get, you know, shock horror, stabbed. In the trying, trying to break up a, a fight, so mm. which is exactly what he's doing here. Like he's trying to stop, you know, his best mate's bully from from taking this body, which obviously means a lot to the whole friend group as a whole. So I think there is definitely a um, relationship there. So yeah, like we said, they do decide to send out an anonymous phone call. They they don't want to take the credit for this now. Like they've they've grown, they've seen the body, they've grown as people. Mm. This is not what they want to do, and they say their goodbyes to each other. For the day, but this is where we get our voiceover saying that they did start to drift apart. Yeah, and li- again, it is fantastic voiceover. We'd only been gone two days, but somehow the town seemed different, smaller. That is a great line. It is, because it shows that obviously the town hasn't changed, but it shows the extent of how much they have changed. Yeah. How much they have grown to the point where the town has gotten smaller. Really. It's just sharp, like it's this tiny little line mm-hmm. and it just encapsulates everything. Absolutely. But yeah, we get Vern saying goodbye, he walks away and just, oh, a penny. Like it's it's just <laughs> classic Vern. Vern. Like he's just this happy go lucky kid. Yeah, he's he's a he's pathetic in ways. <laughs> no, he is he's a pathetic kid, but he's he's happy, you yeah. know? He's just a happy kid. Teddy leaves, you know, makes peace with Chris, that's fine. Skins it. Skins it. <laughs> and it it is good because Teddy does you know, give up that Chris did the right thing. You know, death is not to be played with. Yeah. And I think, obviously, I mean, you've blown my mind with the fact that Teddy's dad might not have been in the war, but (laughs) with his dad, let's say, in the war, obviously death and killing was such a big part for his dad and he's brought all that emotion, all that anger, all that rage back to this little town of Castle Rock with him. So, yeah. And, uh, yeah, there's there's so much here at the end that just... Just nailed it for me. Absolutely nailed it. So he's talking about how as time went on, we saw less and less of Teddy and Vern until they were just two more faces in the halls. It happens sometimes. Friends come in and out of your life like busboys in a restaurant. And that is so true to life. Isn't that amazing? Like, exactly. (laughs) Like, you think about how important friends were to you when you were, you know, any age. When you were 10, you had a best friend. Yeah. Like... You don't have a best friend now? <laughs> you son of a bitch. No, I'm just saying, like, in a few years, you'll just be another face in the <laughs> hall. <laughs> no, but you think I'll about- just be another voice in your ear. Especially, <laughs> especially at school, your friends do change a lot. Yeah. And to, to when you've got this, this huge journey that they've all taken together, you see how tight and close these four friends are. And then in a few years, they're, they're not even saying hello to each other. And it's not its not portrayed as this big negative. It's just, that's life. Yep. You grow up, you drift apart, you move on with your lives. It happens. It's part of growing up. Yeah. So, we find out that Vern gets married, has four kids and runs a forklift business. In the book, he actually dies. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Teddy, we find out, tried and failed to get into the army because of his eyes and ear. That's pretty rough. Yeah. Spend some time in jail. But now he's just doing odd jobs around town. Again, in the book, he dies. I think it was a car accident Jeez. Teddy was in. Uh, yeah, in is the book, a- Chris is the third person to die, not the first. <laughs> okay, I like this version. Yeah, I, I agree. I do too. And we get Chris saying he's never going to get out of this town. And Gordy, again, like he's the one pumping Chris up now. Yeah. He's sort of had his catharsis and now it's his turn to 
give it back, like try and get Chris to get over that mental hurdle that he needs to get over. And thankfully, Chris did get out. He went and did the college courses. He became a lawyer. And as we said, he dies in the fight. So I like that shot where he's walking off, turns and waves, and then he fades away. Mm. Right at the moment when he said that, got a knife to the throat, died almost instantly. Yeah. So that's it for the kids. And where we see Richard Dreyfus typing his story, typing the voiceover, story, which is my excellent. It's an interesting choice, is it? It's funny. I was watching this and I didn't really. I mean, there were a couple of scenes in particular between Chris and Gordy that I could have picked. Mm. But once I got to this, this just this ending really, really hit me. Tell us about it. It's your favourite scene? Yeah, we see for the first time the computer screen and we see him typing these words out and we don't hear it. And this makes it so much more, like it's different. It's more important. We've been hearing this nonstop throughout the film and now we're just seeing the words. It's almost like the narrator is not willing or even able to say the words out loud and can only write them down. Although I hadn't seen him in more than 19 years, I know I'll miss him forever. Was that you trying to do a Morgan Freeman Shawshank impersonation? Was it Morgan? It sounded a little bit I, like I it. was going for a white guy. <laughs> but uh, old old Gordy here, he looks at the screen and he sighs. And his kid comes in. And I love this element to it. His kid comes in with a friend. And he's like, come on, Dad. We're still, we've we got to go. What are you doing? Like, come on. And the kids, they just, I love it because you can tell that they see him as such a different person. The kids see this guy as just his, like this older man. But in his head, like old Gordy is still young Gordy at heart. Yeah. And Gordy looks at where the kids were standing and he smiles as if appreciative and happy for the boys to be living in their, like their childhood now. Like they are living. This is their time. Yeah, exactly. This is their time. This is what he's writing about, what he's trying to remember and capture in his writing. These, these, his kid and his friend, they're living it right now. And he looks down and he's, he's almost sad knowing that, that time has passed for him. He'll never have this time back. And he does the final the final line of his story. The final line is fantastic. I never had any friends later on like the ones I had when I was 12. Jesus does anyone. He smiles and leaves the room. Oh, mate, honestly, like that, it really got me thinking about, I mean, I guess we're getting into final thoughts here. Any last words? This movie really got me thinking about my childhood, my old best friends, and how important these people were to me at the time, but now I don't talk to. Like, Mm -hmm. I have ex-best friends that I would almost not speak to if I saw them. Like, it's it's insane. And I've, I've had this happen where I've seen people that I was incredibly close with in high school. Like, I mean, hugely close with, and I just, I, I cannot bring myself to speak to them. Like, I just don't want to speak to them because I know it's not like that anymore. Like, yeah, there's a time and place. There's no, you, Yeah, like, we were then, right? Mm-hmm. We're not now. And seeing, like, there's no point. Like, why, why do we need to have an awkward, you know, small talk catch up for a minute and then walk away? Like, what? That doesn't need to, need to exist. So, mm-hmm. it really did get me thinking. And, like, even when we see these credits come up and we get the full-on Stand By Me song, which is the tune has only been hummed throughout the film and now we get the vocals at full on. I loved it. Like I, I sat and watched these credits and mm. I, I don't ever do that. Normally credits start, stop, all right, make some more notes. But this movie really did touch me and I liked it much, much more than I expected. I've seen this film a few times. This was the one that really had an impact on me. Cool. Four and a half for me. Yeah, I'm I'm very happy I chose this as a latest film for us to break down. Me too. It really was great to go back and watch this 
fantastic coming-of-age film about a bunch of young lads going on a crazy adventure. We get some great fleshed-out characters, especially in Gordy and Chris, played excellently by Will Wheaton and River Phoenix. The simple and fluent chemistry these four kids share keeps your full attention, as they act like 12-year-old boys would, especially in that 50s setting. Hell, I even remember talking and acting like that when I was that age, so this holds an extra special place for me too. The emotional drive this film holds with the issues these kids are facing away from this adventure really grounds them and adds another dimension to them. This is more than just a simple adventure story because you add in wonderful acting, great complex characters, an awesome soundtrack, all wrapped up in a tight 89 minutes. You have this wonderful film in Stand By Me, a true classic. Four and a half for me too. I was the best because the crowd loved me. All right, Dean, where's this going to sit in your rankings? All right, I'm going to start at number 15, which is Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And for me, it is better than that film. Next up is Logan at 14, and I feel like this has much more emotional weight to it than Logan did for me. So I do like this more than Logan. Next up, Your Name, another coming-of-age film. Mm -hmm. But when I think about the two, I'm just, as great as Your Name is, I'm just so much more inclined to think about this film and re-watch this film. So... So that'll push it up to number 12, which is Toy Story, and I think that's where it stops. Mm -hmm. I think Toy Story is better than Stand By Me, so Stand By Me is my new number 13. What about you? All right, I'm going to start at the number 17 slot against Logan, and I agree with you. I think this is a better film than Logan. On to the 16th spot with It's a Wonderful Life, and again, I think this is a better film than It's a Wonderful Life. On to 15 with The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And it's going to stop there for me. I think The Good, The Bad, The Ugly is a better film than Stand By Me. So Stand By Me is my new number 16. Awesome. What's up, guys? This is Gerald and my buddy right across from me as always. Andy. We are two peas on a podcast and we want to invite you to join us weekly. As we discuss, what do we talk about? We talk about a little bit of everything. We I mean, did. we talk about too much events, we talk about too politics, much sports. We, we talk- even talk about sports. We're dudes. We yeah, talk we talk about, about, about too much stuff. In fact, don't join us. It's too much. <laughs> it's too complicated. I think you're confusing uh, them, Gerald. <laughs> we are a weekly podcast discussing current events, pop culture, hot topics. Hot. The topics uh, are hot. Not the retail store, just uh, hot topics. Well, oh, I used to love that. Was a great store. If anything happened at Hot Topic, we would discuss that as well. Do you want to get you a black Metallica shirt and some studded earrings? Uh, yeah, we'll talk about that. But yeah. uh, my name is Gerald, and my buddy Andy, and you can catch us on two. Two Peas on a Podcast. Please go to our website. It's twopeasonapod.com. Check it out. Check us out on Twitter at Two Peas on a Pod and subscribe via iTunes or Google Play. We hope to hear you listening. Is that, we can't we can't <laughs> yes. do that, though, can we? No, we can do it. We can hear them uh, listening. I, <laughs> we, we hope to see that you listen via yes. our stats or whatever. We're everywhere. Uh, but check us out. Two Peas right. on a Podcast, guys. Hey, listeners. We just want to take a quick second here to thank you all for taking the time out of your day to come and listen to us banter on about movies and all things movie related. Yeah, it really does mean a lot to the both of us. We're always looking to improve our show to get our name out there. And there's a couple of ways you can help us. Yeah, one of the easiest ways is to just get the word of mouth out there. You know, let your family and friends know about the show and where they can find us, which is pretty much everywhere. Places like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and another personal favourite of mine, CastBox. And if you'd like to get a hold of us, you can contact us on Twitter at twitter.com slash imdbjourney, our Facebook page at facebook.com slash imdbjourney, or you can email us at imdbjourney at gmail.com. Exactly. Another way to help us out is to leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes 
for us. Or if you're really loving the content and are looking for more, why not check out our Patreon, where we post another weekly show, breaking down films not on the IMDb Top 250 list. Yeah, that's right. What have we got coming up this week, Hendo? Well, Dean, we're taking a quick break from our X-Men film series, and we've done a little Q&A. We've had some of our top-tier patrons ask us a ton of questions, and we're going to answer them all. Bit of an AMA. More like an AUA. Ask us anything. That's right. Yeah, very good. So I can't wait to see some of these questions and get into some answers. Absolutely. So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, head on over to patreon.com slash imdbjourney and check out the myriad of rewards and benefits we have to offer. Hello, everybody. This is Jason. And Aaron. And we are the hosts of the For Better or Worse podcast. Like most couples, we have pretty different tastes. There's a lot of things we agree on, of course, but it can be pretty difficult to find something to watch at the end of the day. She likes comedies, love stories, and dramas. And he likes anime, horror, sci-fi, and fantasy. So we both thought it would be fun to force each other to watch our favorite movies, shows, or anything else we can think of and record it here for you guys. The show is a lot of fun, and it's not always torture. Sometimes we actually come around to each other's side. We would love for you guys to give us a shot. So download For Better or Worse anywhere you listen to your favorite shows and join us in the fun. We can't wait to share our experiences with you. All right, it's time for... We may still have mail. Mail, mail, mail. Here it is. And this oh. could be it. Oh. And we have a couple of reviews over on Twitter. First one from Maddie Barnes. One of the most raw and truthful stories of childhood at that time and obviously stands the test of time as I was born in 2002 and it's one of my favorite films. Absolutely amazing. We also have another one here from one of our patrons, the So I'm Watching This Show. This is my favorite movie to this day. That's high praise for Stand By Me. Fairly high, yeah. Uh, Thank you for your reviews there over on Twitter, but let's check out our email and we've got... Shane! All right, Dean, what does your brother Shane have to say about this one? This is a film I've seen so many times, always forget what happens in it, and never really enjoyed it a whole lot. It has been a few years, though, since I've watched it. Watching it now, I do think it's a pretty good film. Not for me personally, but I can enjoy it from a filmmaking standpoint. It's very easy to watch. I think that's Rob Reiner. The 90-minute runtime also helps. So I'm guessing the bulk is 50s America? The dynamics between the teenagers and the pop culture references don't connect with me so much, being that I'm from Australia and grew up in the 90s. Knives, guns, drag racing and treehouses were never part of my youth. I think that's important to talk about that because the main feel of the film is that it's a memory of those days. So anyone around this time and place in history is going to enjoy this film a lot better. The characters and the acting are pretty interesting and keep the audience captivated. The setting of forests and mountains was also nice to look at. One thing that never fully got me on board with this movie is that there's an underlining sappiness about things. Not enough edge. Not enough darkness. Interesting. I thought the movie's about finding a dead body and there's lots of death and guns and knives. Abuse. You just said it earlier on in your review. There's (laughs) knives and guns. All right. Back to Shane's review. The story feels whitewashed. I'm not sure that's what whitewashed is. Ah, I think you're misinterpreting that word. Diluted, never completely, but still creating an atmosphere of cheesiness, sentimentality. If you can get past that, and I can for most part, then this is an alright movie. Nothing more, nothing less. Interesting review, Shane. Yeah, thanks, Shane. Alright, let's get into... That's my question! The question, jerk! Where we asked you, what is your favourite coming-of-age film? First one here from a podcast about something. Ten things I hate about you is perfect. From the Tasteless podcast, My Girl is such a classic. 
I saw it at a formative time and what a cast. Here's one from Tom Schutzer. Almost Famous isn't just my favourite coming-of-age film, but one of my favourite films, full stop. From Rob Manifield, Juno. From the Cinemantics, it's not my favourite, but one I recommend all the time is Kings of Summer. Tom Hanks' Defence Force says City of God. Would argue Beautiful Boy is one as well. The St. Paul Filmcast says we always regard big as coming of age, where the adults act like more children than the kids. Hmm. Next up from patron Ben Mulverhill. I think coming of age films become favourites when they have relatability. Therefore, dazed and confused for me. Maybe revealing a bit about you there, Ben? (laughs) (laughs) Profoundly Pointless says Star Wars prequel trilogy. Think about it. I'd rather not. Corey Tatum says, there are so many that I love, but The Goonies is my favourite. From Mr. Sam Hurley at the Movie Reviews and 20 Qs podcast, Hunt for the Wilder People. No bias here whatsoever. <laughs> and lastly here from Dreezy, Superbad doesn't get the love it deserves. It's by far the best of the Apatow Productions, funny with a solid script dealing with friendship and the anxieties of growing up. All right, let's take a look over on our patron from Mr. Shane Jeffrey, Dream a Little Dream. Very good film. Next up from Dan from Netflix and Swill, Spider-Man Homecoming. Mr. Chris Beardsall says, My pick would be Easy A. This film made Emma Stone a household name. The script is both funny and smart, and also Stanley Tucci and Patricia Clarkson might just be the best cinematic parents ever. (laughs) Fair enough. Lastly here from Hayden Gerloff, Almost Famous is great and really makes me want to have grown up in that time period. Travelling around the country following your favourite bands sounds perfect to me. Okay, and finally, let's take a look on our Facebook page. From Ebony East Ham, me and Earl and the Dying Girl 100%. Next up from Patron Georgia, Goodwill Hunting, my all-time favourite. And our last one here from Sean Nan, super bad. Thank you everyone on all the different platforms for giving us your answers. But Dean, let's get to our top five coming-of-age films. All right, let's start it off with you, mate. What is your number five? Goodwill Hunting. Interesting. Just missed my cut, unfortunately. Sorry, Georgia. <laughs> my number five is Spirited Away. Oh, nice. My number four is The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Yeah, I know you love that film so very much. I do. My number four is American Beauty. Nice. I definitely think that's a coming-of-age film. It doesn't have to go from kid to adult. It can go from adult to... More of an adult. More of an adult. So you're saying Kevin Spacey's character is coming-of-age? I think there's a different variety of of coming-of-ages in that film. So yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Number three for me is Pan's Labyrinth. Interesting. That would have been my number six. But my number three is your name. My number two, one you've already mentioned, Spirited Away. Very good choice. My number two is Sing Street. Can't argue with that. My number one, not even close, almost famous. My number one is City of God. Nice. Now for next week's question of the week, we're going to ask you, what is your favourite Rob Reiner film? Yes, we will. All right, let's take a look at the results of our Pod v Pod 15 draft results against Dan and Caleb from Netflix and Swill on Tom Hanks Films. Now, they were, of course, Team 1 because they drafted first and they went Cloud Atlas, Toy Story, Castaway, A League of Their Own, and The Burbs. And we were Team 2 and we had Saving Private Ryan, Forrest Gump, The Green Mile, Philadelphia, and Toy Story 3. Okay, let's take a look at some responses to this poll. First one from Melissa at the Brook Reading Podcast. I can't believe I voted against A League of Their Own. I love that movie. But Philadelphia, Forrest Gump, Toy Story 3, had to do it. IMDb Journey. From two peas on a pod, not even close, IMDb Journey. Tom Schutzer said, possibly the most self-defeating first pick of any draft ever. (laughs) 
Cloud Atlas might become a cult classic in 20 years' time, but the poll is right now. IMDb Journey. A podcast about something says IMDb Journey takes it. They have better movies across the board. Unfortunately, Cloud Atlas wipes out all of the points scored by <laughs> Toy Story for Netflix and Swell. Colby Max says, IMDb Journey, no contest. From Billy at We Watched a Thing, this is such a mixed bag. Neither team has five great films. For me, though, Netflix and Swill takes it. Oh, Billy, always wrong. When will you learn? <laughs> Cinema Shape says, easily IMDb Journey. Sad to see Big isn't on there. We toyed with it for the fifth one. Pun intended? Yes. From Stories of Your and Yours, IMDb Journey by a pretty healthy margin. And last one here from Joe Stevenson, IMDb Journey by a Country Mile. Only Toy Story would make it into IMDb Journey at the expense of Toy Story 3. Thank you very much for your responses. Let's take a look at this poll. 53 votes later, we smashed it. 74%. As we should. I'm surprised we didn't get 100%. Nice try, Dan and Caleb. Yeah, so I'll still hang my hat on the fact that we've had 13 Pod V Pods and we have not lost one yet. Couple of ties, lots of wins. So throw on the gauntlet out there. Anyone who wants to come on and try and take us on, we haven't lost yet. Just saying. And Caleb, if you ever want to come back, you're always welcome. <laughs> we will always let you draft first. <laughs> All right, Dean, it's time for another bracket tournament. The 1960s are up to. We've already got Casablanca and 12 Angry Men into our final eight. Let's see which film's going to take the 1960s out. 16 films. Let's take a look at the matches. First match is the number one seed, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, taking on the number 16 seed, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Next up, we have For A Few Dollars More against The Apartment. Third match here is the number four seed, Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, against Cool Hand Luke. After that, we've got Lawrence of Arabia up against Judgment at Nuremberg. Match five here is a classic psycho against Andre Rublev. <laughs> Oh, that'll be close. Uh, next up, we got To Kill a Mockingbird against Yo Jimbo. Next one here is the number three seed, Once Upon a Time in the West, against Igmar Bergman's Persona. And lastly here, we've got 2001, A Space Odyssey, up against The Great Escape. A couple of good matches there, a couple of good movies. Mm. I think uh, we might have a couple of landslides in this one, but I think as we get towards the last rounds, there's going to be some extremely close matches. Yeah, I agree. So, obviously, we will do our bracket setup here, put all of our predictions in, and at the end of this tournament, whoever has the most correct gets to give the other person a movie. So, what's next? All right, it's time to find out what movie we're watching next week. Now, neither of us are picking, as we alluded to. This week is come courtesy of our top-tier patron, Mr. Shane Jeffrey. Dean, he's gone with Mr. Marty Scorsese's Casino. Yeah, not a surprise, Definitely one of his favourite films, so I can't wait to rewatch that and get into breaking that down with you. Our first Marty Scorsese film. Is it? Yeah. First of many. Absolutely. So it's going to be a very interesting breakdown. Can't wait to go back and check it out. Hmm. All right, so that's going to do it for this week. It's very fun to talk to you again. Yes, it was very fun to talk to you again as well, Hendo. Be more convincing next time, please. Well, <laughs> I wasn't trying to convince you. <laughs> so next week... We've got Pod V Pod 16. And I guess for next week is going to be Chris and Justin from the Casual Cinecast. It's going to be a very fun Pod V Pod, as usual. Yes, no doubt it will be. Can't wait for that. All right. So thank you very much, everyone, for listening. We will see you next week for Pod V Pod 16. Bye.